Welcome to the King's Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson, Editor-in-Chief of No Ceilings MBA and Staff Writer for No Ceilings MBA. And I'm here with my co-host, founder and curator of the Basketball Intelligence Newsletter, available at basketballintelligence.net, Ray LeBeau. Hello there, Ray. Hi, Nick. Glad to be here and welcome, everybody. Glad to have all of you here. So we have a very special guest for this week's episode. We had the opportunity to speak with Bucks analyst and former NBA All-Star and All-NBA player Marcus Johnson. So we had the opportunity to speak with Marcus on Thursday, so does not account for the most recent game for the Milwaukee Bucks, but it was an awesome conversation. We are very grateful to have Marcus on the show. And without further ado, let's throw to our conversation with Marcus before we get to the recap and preview portion of the podcast. Welcome, everyone, to this week's edition of the King's Weekly Podcast. We have a very special guest this week, uh, Marcus Johnson, television analyst for the Milwaukee Bucks. Let me say just a little bit about his background. Uh, Marcus was the uh, Player of the Year in high school in Los Angeles and in California, National Player of the Year uh, in college basketball at UCLA, uh, five-time All-Star in the NBA, First team All-NBA once and second team All-NBA twice. I don't have enough time to talk about the plaudits that um, he deserves for his incredible career. So we're going to cut it short there and uh, ask Marcus to talk to us today about the state of the Bucks, what's going on with them and why, and et cetera. And as then after we spend some time with that, segue into previewing sharing his insights with us about uh, the upcoming game between the, uh, the Kings and the Bucks. So thank you so much for joining us today, Marcus. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Ray, for having me. So if you can just start off by sharing with us what's going on with the Bucks right now. Well, um, right now the Bucks are struggling with, with teams that they have struggled with on a consistent basis this season, teams that like to get out in transition. And so uh, we lost a couple of games in a row to the Indiana Pacers, who, by the way, um, are, are for real. This is a Pacer team under, uh, you know, the excellent guidance of Rick Carlisle, who's won a, won an NBA championship, so he knows what it takes to to get there. But uh, this team is is really starting to gain a level of confidence that um, they were nowhere near at last season. And I think getting into the uh, NC the in-season tournament uh, finals in Vegas against the Lakers, beating the Celtics and the Bucks, and the, and the way they did it, I think it's really, it really helped that Patriot team. So that being said, so we lost to them a couple of times to start the year out, uh, once at home, once on the road. The, the, the loss at home, that Pacer bench outscored our bench 70 to 16, and therein lies a big problem with, with the Milwaukee Bucks, just, just inconsistent scoring from the bench. Now, the first game we lost to him, Marjan Bochamp didn't play. He's good for, on a good night, 10 to 12 points. Whether or not that had made a difference, we don't know. But but we've got to do a much better job in, in two areas, uh, getting a consistent production from the bench, which has been up and down. I mean, Bobby Portis has had some, some huge nights. As I mentioned, Marjan Bochamp has really played well, kind of finding his stride uh, the last couple of weeks in, in particular. And, um, you know, other guys, uh, Cameron Payne has had his moments at an 18-point game recently. You know, Pat Connaughton is real capable in terms of knocking down open shots. But when we don't score, when the, when the bench doesn't score, now all of a sudden you're putting a whole lot of pressure on the starters, Giannis, to get 30 to 40 points and, and, and Lillard to get around 30 and Middleton around 20 uh, just to have a chance. Malik Beasley, double figures. 
to have a chance of um, of keeping up with the teams in the league today because of the uh, nature of the NBA. And, 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 you know, I've been saying all along, Ray, but Steve Kerr just kind of came out and said a few days ago when he talked about how uh, the, the NBA is, is legislating defense out of basketball. And so, you know, I said that a long time ago. Once the Drew Holiday and, and, and Dame Lillard trade was made, I said, yes, we lose a lot in Drew at his point of attack defense. But, man, the way this league is going now in terms of, uh, of offense, you know, it's almost like you can't play aggressive defense at the point of attack anyway. And so you might as well get someone who can put 30 points on the board and try and offset uh, some, of, some of these great offensive teams. So uh, we're, we're, the Bucks are in, a, in an interesting situation right now. They played so well leading into the new year kind of stumbling out of the gate the first few games um, of 2024. And so now it's, it, it's about trying to right the ship. Uh, the defense had played better. I think the defense is ranked 20 to 21st right now. I think over the last month in December, we were like 12 or 13. So the defense has improved. The offense has been great. But right now it's just trying to put everything together. And with the new coaching staff, uh, new uh, superstar, and Dame Lillard is a superstar, it's taken some time for this thing to kind of come together. I thought it was coming together. Now, Indiana kind of set that back. But again, I believe Indiana is for real. So I don't I don't think it's, it's a big a deal in terms of uh, a disappointing loss to this young Indiana Patriot team who we dominated the last couple of years. It's a different Patriot team. And um, but, but but we've got to get our defense up to speed and some consistent play from the bench. And I still think we're OK. To what extent has the defensive issue been a function of uh, Dame replacing Drew? Well, anytime you've got a Drew Holiday who is so physical at the point of attack, he's like one of those old Oakland Raider cornerbacks, Lester Hayes or, or Mike Haynes or somebody like that, that just, just, just beat you into submission at the line of scrimmage. And so he takes away a lot of your aggression in terms of coming off of screens and looking for your shot. And he just stays in your body so effectively. It's funny, Ray, when, when um, we made the trade and, and Drew was still property of the Portland Trailblazers, but everybody knew that he was going to be moved. Uh, I was asked on a, on a few podcasts and, and, and interviews, well, I guess this makes the Bucks the favorite in the East. And my response was always, well, that that depends on where Drew Holiday winds up. Exactly. And so, you know, if he winds up in, in Philly or Boston now, it's a different, yeah. it's a different, it's a different dynamic. Absolutely. And so we're seeing what he's doing for Boston. So Drew Holiday, you know, he's a guy that, that you're not going to replace, but we feel like in Milwaukee that, you know, we've got enough offensive firepower that we can offset all the, all the pluses that he brought at the defensive end. You know, if Drew Holiday is your fourth or fifth best player like he is with the Celtics, that's really yeah. screaming loud to you about how good that team is. Yeah, and the thing about that is that with us, he needed to be that third scorer on a consistent basis for us to be good. That's what we struggled uh, in the playoffs against the Miami Heat in the first round last year. And and, and again, it's, good as, uh, it's great. Let me put it that way. It's great a defensive player as Drew Holiday is. The way the rules are right now, I mean, Jimmy Butler still averaged 38 points a game against us in a five-game series. You know, Drew averaged, I think, 18. So that's a 20-point-per-game differential that you're looking at. And it's just hard to, hard to offset that in the playoffs. And so, yes, we do miss Drew. But, and, and, and here's the other thing with Drew, and this is what great teams are doing, great coaches are doing. They're putting uh, Dame Lillard in a position now where they get the switch that they want. They're, they're targeting him. 
And now he's got to defend someone down lower, try and battle a bigger guy in the post. Drew, when we played the Celtics the last time, he started the game off guarding Giannis. So he's very comfortable guarding bigger players. So that's a major, major difference that a lot of people are not aware of, that these coaches are so good and shrewd and, and tactical at seeking out the match matchups. They may, they may set five screens on one possession until they can get Daniel Lillard matched up against a Miles Turner down in the post, and then they're going at him every time. So uh, it, it's still a work in progress, still something for us to figure out. Uh, you know, we've gone to zone sometimes to try and uh, make up for make up for the uh, uh, deficiencies uh, in size and strength that Dame doesn't possess at the point of attack as Drew did. But uh, you're not going to replace Drew Holiday, so you better find out. You better figure it out in terms of what's the best approach because um, you're not going to have Drew there to, to 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 beat guys down at the point of attack. I want to ask you something that's a little offbeat uh, in response to something that I just heard, and you may have heard it as well where Carl Anthony Towns um, said about the Timberwolves losing two games in a row, that the reason that they lost was because they're bored and monotony has set in. Um, I wonder what you think of that comment and whether, if there's any truth to it at all, do you think something like that could apply to the Bucks? The monotony monotony of winning is what he said. No, yeah, I understand. I understand the context of what he's, because they've been great. I mean, the Timberwolves, especially defensively, best team in the league defensively. And he has come out and embraced that power forward role with the addition of uh, Gobert as a center and play great defense. And he's done his thing offensively and 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 really been a factor um, uh, at the at the uh, at both ends of the floor, really. Uh, But just in terms of being bored, it's not like you've been to the. Western Conference Finals the last five years, you've broken through to the NBA Finals, you won a championship. You know, you haven't done anything really yet in terms of what uh, franchises really value. And and that's getting into the playoffs and making a deep run. And so until he's able to do that, um, I don't see any reason for boredom now. It's a long season. I think everybody right now, and, and from this perspective, I understand what he's saying. I think mentally, January, going into the All-Star break. We all know, we all have been around this league a long time. These are kind of the dog days heading into the All-Star break. And and sometimes it's difficult to maintain your motivation, especially, and give uh, uh, Chris Finch a lot of credit in in Minnesota, especially when a team has played as well as they've played, as hard as they've played. You know, they're they're leaving it all out on the floor. Every possession, they're fighting, they're battling, tooth and nail. They had some great games against some great teams and individual players. So I understand the, the, the aspect of, of just being worn down mentally. And I think he probably meant uh, more of that than anything. And to your answer your question, Ray, I mean, I do see some similarities because this Bucks team, for example, at home, we hadn't lost a game in, uh, since the second game of the season to the Atlanta Hawks, uh, October 29th. We won 15 or 16 straight. And I just knew, you know, I didn't know it was going to happen January 1st against the Pacers, but I just knew there was going to come a game when sure. we just didn't have it. You know, we just came out and we just didn't have it. It just happens in this league. It's too many games for it not to happen. Um, and, and so that, I think, finally caught up with us. Um, but yeah, we're still trying to figure things out. So I don't think for us, boredom is an issue. I think it's more a factor. And look, we've got a, we've got a brilliant young coaching staff. Between Nate Mitchell and 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 Josh Oppenheimer and Vin Baker and 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 uh, and Patrick Matumbo to go along with Adrian Griffin, we just hired a new coach from Australia who won five NBL championships. I think it's it's all about trying to figure out 
the best approach, what's working. We, we, we're starting to tweak our defense a little bit more to try and try and find ways to not, and not necessarily hide that Dame Lillard, but, you know, to make sure he's not matched up in, in those tough matchups against bigger players and, and do all we can to try and keep him as fresh as we can at 33 years old. Even the last couple of years, he hadn't played a, a whole NBA season combined the last couple of years. Uh, but still, you want him at 33 to have, have relatively fresh fresh legs down the stretch. Brooke Lopez, same thing. You know, he's up with 34, 35 years old, been around a long time. So, so I think it's a matter of that. We, we've played, we've struggled, Ray, out of the gate to find our consistent identity at the defensive end of the floor. And then we were still 24 and eight uh, at, at the at the new year. Now we've lost you know lost some games since that point, but to have like the third or fourth best record in the league, where, and you're not playing your best basketball, that's the one thing that I say is encouraging about us vis-a-vis the Celtics. Celtics hit the ground running; they they were playing at a whole different level. And here we are, you know, two and a half, three games, game and a half behind them uh, in January. And so that to me bodes well in terms of us finding who we are, what we want to be as a basketball team and have a, having a really strong finish. So I'm a, I'm a big believer in, in that you don't want to peak too early. Not saying that Celtics have done that, but I kind of like where we are uh, with all these factors of newness kind of thrown in. Yeah, that has to be very encouraging to be as, to play as well as they've played so far, knowing that, or at least sensing that um, the best is yet to come, right? In, in yeah. ways that are identifiable right now, absolutely. Right. So I want to turn to Nick and ask him if he has any uh, questions you would like to, or any issues he wants to discuss with you before we turn to previewing um, next week's game. Yeah, so Malik Beasley is someone who the Bucks signed to a one-year deal this past offseason, and he started virtually every game and really been the most consistent shooter outside of Damian Lillard. So I guess, can you talk more about sort of the impact that Beasley's had on the team and how much of a priority it is for the front office to try and re-sign him this offseason? Yeah, that's a great question, Nick. Uh, you know, I can't speak for the front office, obviously, but from what I've watched, he has been a really pleasant surprise. Um, I knew that last year he he led all uh, NBA bench players with three-pointers made. So I knew coming in that he was kind of that that you know, half half jumper will, will travel, half shot will travel. He's kind of our designated shooter. I didn't know how that would translate in terms of playing a lot of minutes with that starting unit. A lot of people thought that you might want to get a defender, a more defensive-minded player like a Marjan Bochamp in the starting lineup, a little bit more length or whatever. But 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 Malik, to his credit, has really been solid defensively. He's uh, he's he's one of the most physical guys we have at the point of attack. And he's knocking down his open shots with with a regularity and an and a, and a efficiency and proficiency that has really been surprising. I mean, he was up around 43, 44%, somewhere around there from the three-point line, maybe even higher right now. And so for him to shoot the way he, sh- he shot the ball, it's not, and I'm a big believer too, guys, it, you know, it's not the shots that you make, it's when you make them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay. So some guys are great at making shots the first three and a half quarters and in the last, you know, six minutes of a ball game now, it becomes more of, of a challenge, but he has knocked down some, some really crucial shots in, 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 in clutch type situations that that's really been impressive. So for me, um, he's been a real pleasant surprise, a real, and I say that just cause I didn't know what to expect. I, yeah, I'm not, a, I hadn't watched a lot of his reps uh, on film. I knew what he was doing just based on the stat sheet, but to see him up close, how he competes and he's got a toughness also, he's got a toughness, 
where he doesn't back down from guys. And, and, and in today's NBA, you kind of need that aspect of toughness. It's funny, when we played the Pacers uh, December 13th, a game ball gate when the ball is hidden and then Giannis ran to the locker room and there's a big brouhaha and one of the, I think, uh, Pacer personnel people had some bruised ribs, according to Rick Carlisle, and just a whole deal. Well, two days later, I think the 15th, they signed James Johnson, who's a black belt in karate. And so I, I don't think it was any coincidence that, that, that in terms of just, just, just adding, you know, fortifying your bench, you know, guys not going to play a lot of minutes anyway. Well, let's get somebody out there who can kick some ass if ever it comes down to it. And I mean that more figuratively than literally, but just that mindset. And so in Malik Beasley, you know, Bobby Portis, we've got guys who are, who are guys that I think are respected around the league because of their toughness. So Malik has been a really, really good asset for us. So you talked about the sort of situation with Drew Holiday being the third option offensively. And now with Damian Lillard in the fold, that's sort of become Chris Middleton. And, you know, Chris has had a few really good games as of late, but he's still been kind of on a minutes restriction. He's missed time occasionally throughout the season. What are your thoughts on sort of where Middleton stands at this point and, you know, whether he is going to continue to sort of be that third option going forward? Yeah, I think he can. I mean, I'm really uh, happy with his progress and, Again, it's a situation coming off of a, a surgery uh, over the off season and, 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 and the minutes uh, restrictions, 15 to 20 to start off. And, um, you know, and, and I would talk to Chris and he's telling me how good he feels, uh, but he's still going under the minutes restriction. Now the minutes restriction basically has been lifted. So he's up around 30, 31, 32 plus um, on a consistent basis. He just came off of a, of a four game road trip to end the, uh, the, the last year in December where he averaged about 21 points a game and eight assists. He had a couple of back-to-back double assist games. And so for me, that's where Chris, I think is going to uh, uh, transform into more of a, and, 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 I, and I say that with the, with the understanding that he's always been a good, good creator, good playmaker, but I think now he can focus even more on that because he's got a point guard background, played point guard at, at uh, Port of God high school down in, that in Charleston, South Carolina, same school that Aaron Neese Smith is from, and Chris, Chris would be one of his mentors. But but I think Chris, I think his playmaking skills, plus I was watching a, uh, our game recently against the Pacers with a good friend of mine, and he was just, I mean, he was just all over Chris in terms of just praising him, how much he loved him, how he thought he was our best player, and his ability to, to create his own shot, to uh, you know, lock down defensively, not like he used to, but enough to still be effective, I think makes him uh, one of our valuable, valuable pieces. And he's just got to, again, with Dame Lillard, his ability to score 30 a game, Giannis with his ability to score 30 a game, they're high usage guys. Chris has got to kind of find his niche, and I think he's doing a good job of that. He's still starting to pick it up the last few games. He's around you know 18 to 20 points and seven, eight, nine. I told you a couple of double-figure assist games uh, in late December. So I'm really confident. He's a key. He's one of our big keys. If he could get back to the form that he was at, you know, a couple of years ago, the year we won a championship, he was our closer. We don't need him for that now. We've got Dame Lillard for that role. But it's you know, it's, it's like a great baseball bullpen. You can never have too many, you know, long reliever, short reliever, you know, your guy that shuts it down at the end. The more guys you have that are used to performing under pressure at a high level, I think the better team you're going to be. So with the sort of defensive struggle of the Bucks, there are two players that I'm sort of curious about how they fit into the picture. So first of all, Andre Jackson Jr., who after being a second round pick, you know, he's been on the fringes of the rotation, but he started a few of the games with Jay Crowder out. 
you know, his focus is going to be on the defense much more than the offense. So first of all, how do you think he fits into the picture? And second of all, how do you think the defensive picture changes when Jay Crowder comes back in the next few weeks from that groin injury? Well, I mean, Andre Jackson Jr., you know, I, I love everything about him in terms of um, both ends, really. I mean, he's shooting. He was shooting going into the new year above 40 percent from the three point line. So that was a major, major bonus because of what he brings defensively. And he's just got this energy, this activity, this length, this athleticism. He's, he's had some tip dunks that have been uh, just jaw dropping in terms of how, how fast and high he's able to get up. Uh, a great facilitator with the ball in the middle of the floor in transition where there's guys all around, no look passes and, and, and doing just a great job of diamond guys um, and, and right in the right spot, right in their shot pocket. I mean, he's just, a, and his coach, Danny Hurley at the UConn said it best. He was his best player. And here's a guy averaging about seven points a game, six rebounds. You know, he's not like a 20 point per game score in college, but the things he brings out there, the intangibles, he's starting to do that for us. Now it's interesting. He was playing, a lot of minutes. It's, it's been kind of this um, tag team jockeying back back and forth between he and Marjan Bochamp. And, and I thought it kind of affected Marjan a bit in terms of confidence and affected his game. But as I mentioned earlier, Marjan is starting to play a lot better. Andre, um, his minutes have, uh, have been somewhat inconsistent. But I think in today's NBA, you're going to need some 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 youth, some young legs, some some length. Guys, six, 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 seven, and run up and down the floor. And not only just to play great defense and then get deflections, but also chase down loose balls. And I can't tell you how many times I said it on the air one game. Um, there was a loose ball, and Chris Middleton was trying to chase a younger player for that loose ball, and the younger player beat him easily. I said, you know, Andre Jackson Jr. would have got to that loose ball, would have gotten it, and been a dunk at the end. It's not a knock on Chris, because Chris no. brings a whole lot of, a whole lot more offensively to, you know, in his package in his toolbox that Andre has, but it's little things like that, that you need not, you, you know, you're not going to rely on that the whole game, but there's little four or five minute stretches in a ball game in the second quarter, in the third quarter of a big game where now the momentum can shift in your direction, or you can sustain whatever momentum you built because guys make hustle plays like that. Get you a couple of easy buckets, get you some offensive rebounds, uh, you know, do make, make an incredible block to get the, get the, get the home fans fired up. Or if you're on the road, get your team fired up. It's little plays like that that can make a difference uh, in a long season and especially in a, in a, in a tough playoff series. So I'm, I like the fact that Adrian Griffith is, is playing these guys now. He's, he's let, let, letting them get their feet wet, especially Andre Jackson Jr., because he's a guy that I think we may need, not for the entire playoffs, but a first-round series, a matchup that he may come in and make a difference for a four-minute stretch uh, that may win a ball game for you. And so those are the kinds of things you've got to look, uh, look forward to in terms of the future. So let's move now to sort of previewing the upcoming game against the Kings. And I guess the place to start there really is with the point guard matchup. And, you know, this year, De'Aaron Fox has really incorporated the pull-up three into his game more than he ever has before. But that's obviously been Damian Lillard's staple for a long time. So, you know, the point of attack defense question has changed with Drew Holiday not in the picture. But, you know, with Dame Lillard instead, what do you think about that sort of point guard matchup between you know an established point guard star and sort of one of the rising point guards in the league well look Nick, like i said in today's nba you're not going to stop these great scores and so we've given up Jalen brunson had a 45 point you know we've given up 30 point games to a whole bunch of guys especially guys like uh darren fox who i think is shooting about 49 percent on short mid-range jumpers according to cleaning the glass 
I mean, so he's a guy that can come off that ball screen from, from Sabonis. And, and, and the way we will get into drop defense, we are almost encouraging that shot. And so a guy like that can just absolutely post huge numbers, uh, knocking down mid-range shots. The key is you keep the you know the the, the herders and and the and the, and the Murrays and and Malik Monks who's been a who's been a, just a historical buck killer since his days with the Hornets. You keep them from knocking down twenty to twenty five threes during the course of a game. If you can do that, you can live with De'Aaron Fox scoring uh, thirty five points, forty points in, in a particular ball game as long as Sabonis doesn't go off for thirty himself, and you keep the other guys in check pretty much. So that's that's the way the game is played now, but. At the other end, I mean, they've got to defend Damian Lillard. And again, he's a guy that didn't play a lot of basketball this summer because of all the trade rumors and everything. So he didn't want to risk any kind of injury. So he worked out, but he didn't play. So his sharpness as a basketball player, he came in and had a huge dunk uh, in the the Pacer game back in Indiana uh, a few days ago, uh, which shows me that his legs are starting to come around. So I still think he and Giannis, Damian Lillard, Nick, are are still trying to – you know, who is the alpha dog, you know, but it's, it's like the one and one, eight thing. And I, and I told Damien, don't, you know, don't worry about trying to fit in with Giannis. Giannis is going to eat, you know, it was, it was around Thanksgiving. I said, Giannis is going to fix his own plate. Don't worry about trying to fix his plate for him. He's going to fix his own plate. You worry about being Dame, getting yours and finding, you know, finding your offensive aggression and your 30 point games, you find your 30. He's going he's gonna to find a way to get his 30. You got to find your, and, and Dane, to his credit, has done a great job of that, especially getting to the free throw line. He's had games of 11 for 11, 17 for 17, 15 for 15 free throws. He's just amazing in terms of his ability. Even on a bad six for 18 shooting night, you look up, he's got 26 because he's gotten to the line 12 times and he's knocked down 11 free throws. And so that's something that we didn't have uh, with, with Chris Middleton being uh, sporadic in terms of his production last year. And, and to add that to this team, I really believe in the long run is going to enhance our abilities, especially, look, we played the Miami Heat. I've touched on this already. They beat us in, in five games. Jimmy Butler averaged 38. In that fifth game, the closeout game in Milwaukee, fourth quarter, there was a stretch in the fourth quarter when we were three for 22. You know, we were three for 22 in, in, a, in, a, in a playoff game that you needed to win. And that, to me, was the inspiration of management saying, we've, you know, defense, yeah, it wins championships, all that, all that stuff sounded good in the 80s and 90s. But right now, the way the rules are, I mean, it, it's all about scoring buckets. You got to get buckets and you got to outscore your opponent, find ways. You know, Indiana Pacers are averaging whatever, 125 points, an NBA record, uh, you know, a whole bunch of points right now because the game has changed. And so I think the Bucks have done a nice job changing with it. But again, you still have to be respectable de- defensively, and that's something that we are not quite there yet. And, and a lot of it is the newness and the newness on top of the newness. Now you're tweaking the newness that you brought in. So now you know, I see a whole bunch of palms up and like, I thought you I thought you was going to get that. I, I thought, you know, so, so when I see a bunch of that going on out on the floor, I know there's still guys still trying to figure out, you know, what the, uh, what, what the schemes are and what their roles are in those particular schemes. Palms up is a lot better than finger pointing. <laughs> yeah, 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 it is. It is. So um, any other observations that we should be looking for um, or Kings fans should be looking for in the game coming up? Well, you know, um, I, I think it's always interesting how teams play Giannis. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, Sabonis does a, does a solid job. 
you know, uh, uh, Trey Lyles, another big body. A lot of it depends on how many big bodies you have that you can throw at him and, and, and how well you're able to build some kind of wall. It's not the, not the, the, the wall that we saw Toronto three or four years ago in the playoffs, but you got to have, you know, and, and, and the Pacers do a great job of that between Isaiah Jackson, between Jalen Smith, between Miles Turner, they've always got two big bodies in there that, that are just kind of lurking around and, and so it, it depends on what you do with Giannis. That's going to be a big key. And I, I, I anticipate Mike Brown being, being more than prepared. He's an outstanding coach. I expect just a great basketball game. I, you know, the Kings don't run as much as they did last year uh, when they were one of the top teams in transition. But that just means that I believe that, you know, they're, they're feeling a lot more comfortable than what they're able to get in their half court. And so for us, it, it's, it's, you know, just how do you get stops when you need them, you're not going to stop a team from scoring 120 in today's NBA, but in the fourth quarter and in, in, in clutch minutes, the last five minutes of a close ball game, it's usually that team can, that can find a way to, to get four or five stops uh, in, in a stretch that can create some separation and win the ball game. So I expect it to be a really good, good matchup. Um, you know, Darren Fox, I, I loved him. I was a big uh, uh, Lonzo ball guy. At UCLA, obviously, until we met Kentucky in the uh, playoffs that year, he, he gave us he gave us thirty nine. I'm like, who is this dude? <laughs> Wait a minute, I thought I thought Lazo should have been like the number one pick in the draft because he was just so good at UCLA. And then when Dar- Darren Fox lit him up, I was like, okay, this guy's on a whole other level in terms of quickness and speed and you know aggressiveness with the basketball. So I just anticipate a really good basketball game, and uh, it should be a lot of fun. Now we're coming off the Golden State game on Saturday night. So that's going to be interesting. Just that's the second night of a back-to-back against a, you know, a Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Steve Kerr coach team that's going to be doing a lot of cutting, a lot of back doors, a lot of moving offensively. You know, if I'm, if I'm Mike Brown, I'm going to make sure that uh, the Kings, you know, work us, put on your track shoes, that they work us to death. And not so much getting up and down the floor, but even half court, hard cuts and hard back doors and, and really try and, and, and make us move a lot at the defensive end of the floor. So, it's going to be a great, great matchup, not only from the player perspective, but also with the coaches, how they how they approach the game also. So, Marcus, thank you so much. Really appreciate all your insights into the Bucks and into the upcoming game. I spoke earlier about your history as a player and um, didn't spend any time uh, talking about um, your excellence as an analyst. And it revealed itself in our conversation today. So I want to encourage everybody to watch as many league pass Bucks games as they possibly can so they can share in, in that uh, level of analysis that isn't true of a lot of the teams that you would be tuning in to watch. So thank well, you. Well, so well, well funny story, quick, quick story, funny story, Ray. I, mean, I just, I was talking to my broadcast partner, Lisa Byington. We were talking about something else and I, and I told her, I was like, the, 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 the website you need to get is Basketball Intelligence. Ray does a great job in thank terms you. of uh, my preparation and so i told her so maybe i can maybe i can get him to give you a free subscription maybe if you come on and do the podcast and she said well i just looked it's only 50 dollars a year i was like yeah it's just you know it's really affordable <laughs> it's a great site that's affordable so i think yeah, i think you might have a have an additional subscriber from here in milwaukee so well, thank you so much you for do. sharing that with me i appreciate yeah, yeah. the plaudits and it's wonderful as always to uh, um hear your insights etc and and just to, to see you again. It's, it's, it's really excellent. So um, I, I hope we can have you again on later in the sure. season. Okay. Anytime. Thank you. Thanks Thank so you. much. Thank you, Nick. Really Thank you, Nick. Thank you. All right. 
All right. So thank you again to Marcus Johnson for joining us. Now let's get to the recap and preview portion of the podcast. And this was about as depressing of a 500 week as I can imagine. And the week did not start off on a good note, did not end on a good note. But when we're talking about starting off, we have to start with the game against the Hornets, the first game of 2024 for the Sacramento Kings. And when we were talking about this game last week in the preview portion, it was essentially a discussion of this is a trap game for the Kings, but everything seems to be setting up for the Kings to have a very nice night. And instead, it was a very not nice night for the Sacramento Kings. Lost to the Hornets 111 to 104. And this was just an ugly game by the Kings start to finish in, again, a game that they should have been able to handle very easily. Almost incomprehensible when you think about you're playing a team that is a, a poor team having lost 11 games in a row, uh, coming off a back to back. Um, so, second night, the first night was in Denver, missing four starters. Um, it's just uh, very, very difficult to understand how you can um, lose in that situation. I think one only observation I want to make is we had seen in the last uh, six quarters prior to that. Um, one of the things that we had, had uh, observed as being problematic for the Kings where um, they uh, were the only, um, were not anywhere near defending three-point shooters, typically about six to eight feet away from a three-point shooter. Um, and in the previous six quarters had done a very good job of um, addressing and resolving that issue. Well, it was back to um the way they were doing prior to those six quarters again for that game where they were not defending three-point shooters. And I happen to think that that's a really huge uh, impact um, in the Kings games. Uh, we all know that there's a big impact in terms of the variance in the uh, shooting percentage from three-point shooters who are closely contested and those who are um, not closely contested. But in terms of uh, the outcome of Kings games and the flow of Kings games and and what's happening in games, it's it's really one of the most important um, factors in my view. And when they're doing it right, they're doing well. And when they're not doing it right, they're, we saw what happened. Yeah. And, you know, the sad part too is that that was actually one of the better three-point defensive performances the Kings put together this week, as we'll get to with the rest of the games. But, you know, one other thing to note, uh, De'Aaron Fox had his best game of the week in this one, and he scored 30 points and took 25 shots to get there. So, you know, we'll get to the rest of the games, but just a spoiler up top, you know, if that's if that's the best game of the week for De'Aaron Fox, who's been, you know, averaging 30 points this season, it's going to be shaky from there. And, you know, when we're talking about shaky from there, the very next game, which was the very next night, and... Thankfully, the Kings did at least manage to break their 0-4 record on the second night of the back-to-back -back in this game. But other than breaking that sort of streak of futility, this was pretty discouraging overall, I would say. And, you know, De'Aaron Fox, you know, 30 points on 25 shots was his best performance of the week. This game was 15 points on 22 shots to go along with three turnovers and... Again, it got worse for him this week than that, as we'll get into later on. But, you know, again, just a night where, as we talked about on our podcast last week with Philip Rossman Reich about the Orlando Magic, you know, the big problem was they came into the game 30th in the league in three-point shooting and three-point attempts, and they went 25 for 44 from the three-point line <laughs> in this game. 
And, you know, again, it's the kind of thing where we talked last week about effort being a potential concern and how they did put together those six good quarters of three-point defense. You know, this is a team that you can be forgiven for leaving space beyond the three-point line because it was not something that they did particularly well. But, you know, even so, the Kings managed to give a team that was, again, last in the league in three-point shooting their best night of the season by far from beyond the arc. Now, thankfully, the Kings did manage to eventually pull out the win in double overtime. But, you know, it was a game where they had a double-digit lead at halftime and, you know, had a terrible third quarter and almost gave the game away late, you know, managed to get it to go to overtime and then to double overtime and take the win. But even against a good team in this year's Orlando Magic, this was not the most encouraging win you can imagine. So the next game for the Kings was thankfully slightly better, but again, you know, carrying on the theme of not exactly the most encouraging wins you can imagine. The Kings were up 20 at the half. And, you know, they almost blew this game. It was, you know, down to three points at one point in the final minutes, ended up being a 135-130 Kings win. But, you know, again, this was a game that the Kings could very easily have blown and came pretty close to blowing. And, you know, again, it's the kind of thing where this would be a lot less troublesome if the other games in the week had been more encouraging than they were. But as it was, I mean... De'Aaron Fox, 24 points on 20 shots. Really, Demonis Sabonis was the leader for the Kings in this game. 24 points, 15 rebounds, 11 assists. Did turn the ball over a decent amount, but nowhere near as much as he had in, I believe he set his career high in turnovers with 11. His 11 turnover performance was against Charlotte earlier in the week, which not exactly pretty, but this game for the Kings, it was one that, you know, thankfully they managed to come out on top, but just a series of very unencouraging stat lines from that game. One thing that I do have to mention before we move on to the next game, which Ray, you were in attendance for a portion of, let's just put it that way. As much but, as I can. Exactly. But in between that Raptors game on Friday and the game against the Pelicans that we're about to get to on Sunday night, the Kings waived Juan Toscano Anderson before his contract could be guaranteed. There were certainly rumblings that there might be, you know, a potential trade in the works, which is why the Kings were trimming down roster spots. But ultimately, I mean, this is a situation where the contract would have been fully guaranteed for the season if Toscano Anderson was on the roster after today. And it seems a lot more like a cost-cutting move than a potential trade move. But, you know, who knows? Maybe in the hours between when we record this on Sunday night and when it goes up on Monday morning, there might be a trade that comes through, but certainly that seems like more of a financial move than anything else. Let's bite the bullet here and move on to Sunday's game against the New Orleans Pelicans. And last week in the preview portion, you know, we talked about how this was a team that's had the Kings number all season long. And, you know, I was hoping for better, certainly, but instead, the Kings got absolutely brutalized by the New Orleans Pelicans. This was a game that was over early and got more and more over as the night went on. But, Ray, you were actually in attendance, so let's get your thoughts here first before I continue to ramble on. What did you see well, in this game? Yeah, Zion not being there and Grand Theft Alvarado not being playing and didn't really matter. Yeah. Um, there were obviously all the observations are negative. Um rebounding was just astonishing. I think it wound up um, 60 to 30. Um, and that's closer than it was 
for most of the game. Um, and there were times, many, many times in the game where you would uh, take a look at the boards and see, okay, I see three Pels. Oh, wait a minute. No, there's four Pels. Are there any Kings on the floor? Not one King anywhere in the vicinity of the, of the backboard and three or four Pels over and over and over again. That was really quite astonishing. We were back to um, the defensive problems again, of course, and the three-point um, uh, distance between the defender and the shooter. And when it's C.J. McCollum, not necessarily the smartest uh, thing in, in the world. Um, it, there were so many things that went wrong in that game. I guess the other thing I would point out is just that the Kings from the get, from the opening jump, winning tip, which they won. Um, but All downhill from, from there. From there, from, from there on, the old the the the, the word that I, I well two different words I can think of to describe their performance. One, they were sleepwalking, and two, it was desultory. I don't know what I can't think of another word that would actually describe it. Um, really, um, very in fact, so bad that Kings fans who will cheer the Kings for anything you can think of because you know after 17 years they're just like thank you thank you thank you for taking the one point lead booed several times through the game very vociferously and it was that bad um there's very little to say but i was thinking afterward about you know what does the coach do after a game like this and there's always you know um, a split of opinion and i'm sure there's a split of opinion for each individual coach do we um spend a long time breaking down film and, and watching it? Or do we just say, you know, that was a blanking disaster. Let's not spend any time looking at the film because nothing good can come from it. I don't know what they're going to do. He's probably announced by now, but I wasn't at the press, the post-game press. So um, I don't know what else to say about that game. Uh, your observation? Yeah, this was a game that I think everybody will want to put in the rearview mirror as quickly as possible. There are a few other things that I wanted to point out before we thankfully leave that game behind us. But Demonis Sabonis had 10 rebounds in this game. No other King had more than two. Larry Nance Jr. had uh, seven rebounds in 14 minutes off the bench for the Pelicans, which was more than every King starter not named Demonis Sabonis plus Kevin Herter, plus Malik Monk combined. He had seven, they had six, the whole lot of them. And, you know, the last thing is, you know, again, you touched on it with the three-point defense. The Kings allowed two teams, including the worst three-point shooting team in the NBA heading into the game. They allowed two teams this week to shoot better than 50% from three-point range. That's just not viable. That's, you know, a defensive effort that's, you know, bordering, well, not even bordering. It's really just, it's unacceptable to have two teams, you know, and not only two teams, but one team that was worse at shooting threes than literally every other team in the league to put up two 50% three point shooting performances. It's, it's really bad. And it's a really bad sign. And again, it's like, this was a two and two week for the Kings, right? You know, it's not the worst thing in the world to, you know, tread water, go 500 for a week, but I mean, it's hard to imagine a more discouraging 500 week, right? The Kings won their two wins by eight combined points with one of those games being a double overtime win. And I mean, you know, this ended up being a 133 to 100 Kings loss, but it was 112 to 62 in the fourth quarter. And, 
you know, Keon Ellis and Kessler Edwards had solid fourth quarters to bring the Kings back to a slightly more respectable final score. But I'm I mean, wondering what adjectives you were going to put, uh, adverb and adjective you were going to be, or modifier you were going to be put in front of the word respectable, but slightly more. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, you know, not not a pretty performance, but it's the kind of thing where, you know, if you look at the box score, you see 33 point losses, a lot more than 50 point losses. And that's, you know, again, we're dealing with degrees of awful here, but at least, at least they didn't finish the night, you know, breaking records for worst losses in team history. Right? At least they kept it more respectable than that. We can say that much at least. Were it not for the fact that we had an obligation to describe probably the best word would have been unspeakable. Yeah, you know, we we do our best here, but I think unspeakable is <laughs> pretty good and, you know, good enough to the point where maybe let's not talk about it anymore and move on to the preview portion of the podcast. So also, you can say stuff happens. Yes. There's yes, a very optimistic um, description. And a whole lot of stuff happened in that game and none of it was good. I mean... I don't think I even listed out the full De'Aaron Fox stat line that I was teasing how somehow the Orlando game was not his worst night of the week. Three points, one of 10 shooting. <laughs> it's, you know, it's the kind of thing where, again, you know, we talked in the previous game how Dyson Daniels and Jose Alvarado did a really good job containing De'Aaron for his previous worst of the season, which was a 14-point, 22-shot performance against the Pelicans. But, man, I mean, as you mentioned already, Jose Alvarado wasn't even in this game. True. Okay, yeah, that's that's more than enough flagellation. We can we can move on now to talk about the upcoming week. And it's another four-game week, except this week the Kings are on the road for all of it. And, you know, that's a bad start, you know, <laughs> based on how the week ended. But the good news, at least, is the first two games of the week are against the Pistons and against the Hornets. And, you know, again, it's the kind of thing where the Pistons game seems like it should be, you know, relatively relatively easy win you know the Pistons have been playing slightly better the last couple weeks than they were in most of November and December but even still I mean this is a team that the Kings should be able to beat handily and the next game is essentially an opportunity I say opportunity for a reason an opportunity for a revenge game against the Hornets but you know unlike the last game the Kings are the team heading into a road arena on the second night of a back-to-back and you know, again, the Kings at least managed to exercise the demon of back-to-back games with that win over the Magic. But, you know, the Kings have had a very, very poor record on back-to-backs, even including that game against Orlando. So it's a situation where the Kings, you know, again, they already lost a pretty inexplicable loss to the Hornets this week. So it's unfortunately not as hard to imagine them losing that game as you might like. Nonetheless... They are playing two of the weaker teams in the league to start the week. And um, assuming for the moment that they're able to put today's performance, uh, performance, is that an accurate word? Performance in air quotes. In quotes, uh, behind them. Um, they're thankfully opening up the week with two definitely winnable games. And it's always nice to open the week with two definitely winnable games, but it's particularly important for the Kings based on, you know, what the other two games are of the week. So Sunday night's game is against the Milwaukee Bucks, and we already covered the Bucks thoroughly with Bucks analyst Marcus Johnson in the first half of the podcast, so we won't get into more detail on that game here. But the other game is against the 76ers in Philly. And, 
you know, the Sixers have had a couple of dud games in a row. You know, Joel Embiid was absent for one of them, but yeah, you know, they did just massively blow a game to the Knicks on Friday. Yeah, you know, that being said, I mean Philadelphia's third best team in the Eastern Conference at the moment. And Joel Embiid's health aside, this is a team that clearly has the chops to put it to this Kings team. And, you know, again, especially given how this week went. You know, it'll be vital for them to pick up the first two games of the week, but a road game in Philadelphia, at least it's not, you know, part of a back-to-back. At least the back-to-back is earlier in the week than the Bucks sixers games, but it's a tough hill to climb. And, you know, this has not been the most encouraging week for the Kings, certainly in terms of, you know, hoping that next week goes slightly better. And, you know, again, it's the situation where the team the Kings certainly can beat. They're at a point with, the team where it's not inconceivable that they could win either or both of these upcoming games. But again, it's just all the more imperative that they come out strong on Tuesday and Wednesday, given what they have to face to close out the week. So uh, looking at Philadelphia um, performance in this past, uh, recent past, um, let's be clear that the first game that they lost, even though they got really um uh, throttled uh, was to the uh, post-trade undefeated Knicks. So it's not it's not the Knicks. It's the new Knicks that yeah. they lost to that badly. And then, of course, in the second game they played, uh, the second loss that they had, they played without Joel Embiid. So this is still a very, very powerful team that's a, a, a title contender. So that will be a very difficult game. And then, of course, Milwaukee, even though they had a recent loss, with Giannis, et cetera, um, playing at the level that he's playing at that. And, and of course, the supporting cast that he has being so good. That, of course, is also is a very, very strong team. And um, all the more reason why it's important to uh, play well and, and win those first, first two games of the week. All right. So that will do it for us for this week. Thank you again so much to our special guest, Marcus Johnson, the Bucks analyst who you can find on all Milwaukee Bucks games as the announcer and we had a great conversation with him ton of fun and really glad that he was able to make the time to join us for this episode if you've been enjoying the show please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using that's always much appreciated on our end and if you have any feedback on the show feel free to reach out either via twitter at king's weekly pod or email king's weekly podcast at gmail.com and as always thanks so much for listening thank you everybody